Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 43, Dark Horse. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we're talking about the season four finale of Lost Girl called Dark Horse. And our drink special is something called a broken heart. (sighs) Because Kenzie was the heart and she's broken and we are broken hearted. So, so that's over explaining. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So the drink has vodka, chambord, orange juice and grenadine, at least the version that I'm going with. And so let's sort of start out talking about our quick reviews of the episode, our first impressions. What did you think, Chris? <laughs> and your face says you know what I'm going to say. And I did. I did enjoy the show, as is my way. I, I thought that we finally got some closure on some stuff that needed a little bit of closure. We finally got the reunion between Kenzie and Bo, which, of course, you know, we all desperately wanted although we didn't desperately want what happened after that but i think i think some of us kind of saw it coming so and and i i wasn't terribly crushed at the time you know the first watch through but you know after that i i i admit i woke up the next morning and and had a little cry and i'm about to get very serious and i apologize to everyone <laughs> because i know i don't normally do that full disclosure about a year and a half ago, my mom passed away, and my mom was kind of my Kenzie, which sounds weird, but, you know, my mom was my best friend. So, so I, re-watching it had, like, a whole, I was, I was overly identifying with Bo in that moment when Kenzie went into the Sinbad thing. It, anyway, emotional. I am emotional. And I apologize. Somebody else talk now. What did you think, Annie? And no need to apologize for being emotional. Yeah, never, never have to apologize. Um, thank you for sharing that, Chris. Well, I wanted to go on record and say that for me, um, it was the best episode of the season um, because, you know, on an emotional level, it made me happy. It made me, you know, as Chris can testify, I clap and smack my thighs with joy when I really like a funny line, which I did, and you know, got torn apart on so many levels. Um, and I think this ep kind of redeemed, you know, I've, I've said some parts of season four are kind of a mishmash. Some things worked, some things didn't. And this episode really, like Chris said, answered questions and, um, brought some things to a close. There's still some things I have questions about story-wise, but, um, you know, that's overridden by the Kenzie-shaped hole that everybody has in their heart, so... So I thought it was pretty good. I liked it better the second time than I did the first time. I really wish that we had gotten more time with Kenzie in this episode. There was a lot of stuff going on, and I really wish we'd gotten more on-screen Kenzie time in this episode, given how that plotline ended for her. But, you know, it was it was a pretty good finale, and it did wrap up some stuff from the season. Some of it maybe not as satisfactorily as I would have preferred but it did you know kind of wrap up some some storylines and set up for next season and there's going to be a next season don't you people start tweeting saying there's not a confirmed season five i know it's not confirmed but there's a next season no doubt so don't have fears i uh, but chris as the other buffy fan on this yes. on this word oh it was such an end of season five thing yes it was it was buffy throwing herself into the glory hole for Dawn is what it was. <laughs> and I've seen that one as, as a non-Buffy fan, but as the Xena fan, this was so the end of season three, Gabrielle sacrificing herself in the lava pit for Xena. But I have to say, because this this episode reminded me so much of Buffy, coupled with some stuff from last episode, I have a hypothesis that Kenzie would still be alive if Bo had watched Buffy growing up. Because... <laughs> for Xena. When confronted with the situation that she had last episode where it was either somebody you care about dies or this beastly hell thing gets unleashed on the world, if Bo were a Buffy fan, she would have known what you do 
is you tell the person you care about to close their eyes, you say that you love them, and then you ram that sucker through with a sword, is what you do. And then <laughs> we wouldn't have had this mess to begin with. So that's my hypothesis, that Bo should have watched Buffy. We're going to start at the beginning of the episode. So we have Bo and Rainer talking, and Bo is suddenly wearing a different outfit, which really threw me off for a second. But then I was like, eh, at least she's not wearing that ridiculous shirt from last episode. I'll go with it. So we, they're having this conversation, and it seems to say pretty firmly. I Well, maybe I shouldn't say pretty firmly. It seems to quash the idea that Bo has been under some sort of spell since the end of Destiny's Child. And I was like, darn it, because that really... Yeah. Makes a lot of Bo's actions not really make sense to me. And they're, maybe they're trying to suggest that they were being controlled in some way. Bo does say, my father manipulated all of this. But I, I don't know. I, I really did get the sense from what Bo said this, this episode that she was not coerced in any way. And there definitely was not what I was hoping for, which would be like a big, the spell is lifted moment where Bo's like, what the hell have I been doing? Yeah, I have mixed feelings on this. I still think something else is going on. Something else has to be going on, or at least had been going on earlier in the season. Because, yeah, there there are a few scenes that you could kind of excuse maybe as Bo just sort of acting out. But there's some stuff that just is so far from Bo as we know her that it has to have some other explanation to me. And, and the fact that she and Rainer did have that weird, like, sudden let's make out now moment that I mean, it doesn't make sense really without some other, some other influence going on now. The, the whammy, as we keep saying. Yeah. For me, that came later in the episode, the disappointment for me that Bo wasn't under a spell when she seemed to be really a bit affected by Rainer's death or whatever. But yeah, at the beginning, Rainer's like, Oh, you know, we have something real. And I'm like, stop deluding yourself, Rainer. Whatever. Bo knows who her family really is. And I'm like, eh. Well, that's one of the lines that seem to indicate that it, it wasn't a spell. Because he says, yeah. you know, we had something real. They didn't, the therapist didn't count on that. But, it, it, you know, to hear Bo talk in this episode, it, it's less when she comes back in 409 and he's my destiny and she sounds all lovey-dovey. And this was more, he was my partner. We wanted the same thing. I'm really sad that he's gone. It was a lot more detached, but it, it was not, oh, I've been acting ridiculous the past three episodes. Yeah, oh yeah, that was the point where I was going, well, I, I wish the writing had been a little more, because she referred to him as partner, not as her lover. And I kind of wish the writing had gone in that direction where it was established that it was just a partnership, you know, without the lovey-dovey stuff. I mean, yes, that emphasized to me that Bo knew what she was doing, which disappointed me in terms of how she acted towards the other characters. But again, I, you know, I wish it had been established that he's, he's my partner. We believe in the same things. We're going forward from here. Not, oh, Rainer. So. Right. And Rohan said, I think Papaya Horse drew them together with the hand marks. And that's what I was going to say is I, it seems like, and this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I think there's some indication at least that, this theory of mine isn't completely um, baseless, but I think there's some hint that maybe there was something either on the train or through the the mark, since they now are indicating that the mark is from Pirapis and not Rainer. I think it's fair enough to assume that there's something else that pulled them together. I, I do think that they made a good enough point that they have common goals of ending the divide, but that alone doesn't really explain all the stuff that happened on the train. So that's what I'm saying is maybe there's something within the context of the train. Since they indicate that Pirapis is maybe playing puppet master a little bit here. Yeah, as is, I can kind of accept it and move on. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But it, it's not a satisfactory closing. It's, it's just what I'm getting at, so... Um, so if they don't revisit it again, it's like, okay, fine, I can just chalk it up to they were being manipulated, but it doesn't entirely satisfy me personally. Right. My opinion is the writing had been a little bit more subtle or just, he could have been seen more as a tragic, sympathetic character. Again, like you and I, Stephanie, were talking last week, you know, in the 
Pirapus came out and, you know, they made their decision to just go and release him and they're about to get bound. It's like, I don't care about Raynor. I don't care about this character who's been here for three episodes and Bo's all lovey-dovey with him. I don't see his bond as real, that he really loves her because it just wasn't developed as much as I wanted it to be. We're going to do a season wrap-up episode here in the future, and, and I am sure we will talk about the Wanderer slash Rainer storyline and wh- how it worked for us or how it didn't work for us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we'll definitely get more into that in the future. But I think you make a good point. You know, we most people who I've seen talking about online, when Rainer dies, they're kind of like, okay. <laughs> there, and- there's not a lot of emotional impact on that death, and it's that's disappointing. If you're going to kill somebody especially somebody who's supposedly a good guy, we should care. <laughs> but I mean, we all saw that coming because he was, you know, the the new guy who nobody likes <laughs> is always the first one gone, right? Yeah. I have to say, though, I think I actually liked Rainer the best in this episode because I, re- I actually kind of liked the scene with him and Trick. And I was thinking, why didn't we get this discussion when he first showed up? That's kind of interesting. Those like, stop, we can't have petty arguments. And I'm like, uh, no, I agree with everything Rainer's saying for once, because he's been waiting to air these grievances for a long time. And no one has ever said this about the Blood King. But the thing I really liked about that scene is that even though both Rainer and Trick are supposed to be people who care about Bo, in that scene it was kind of them fighting over how Bo could be kind of a pawn in their personal goals. Um, but it, yeah. was, it, was an interesting, it was an interesting scene. I wish we'd gotten more stuff like that with Rainer. I thought there was a nice sort of return to form for Trick in this episode as his him as sort of the Giles figure on Lost Girl. He he was you know explaining all the things and he even had visual aids and and we got some <laughs> you know how Giles loved his visual aids and then we got some some information both on sort of like Fey history. So we got we got like confirmation that Aoife had been turned over to the Dark because she tried to avenge her mother's death. I think fans had suspected that. But this really confirmed that. So he says, Aoife has my blood, the blood of a mage, the blood that drains nourishment from life or self-survival. But the blood of your father, whoever he may be, allows you to draw life from many victims, and more importantly, to transfer that life to someone other than yourself. I mean, that revelation to me, in a sense, is not really a revelation or a confirmation because we've known that since season two and the mass cheese suck that she can suck life from multiple people. That's the nature of succubus, you know, but to give it and then to give it back, we've seen her do that. So, you know, I think the revelation here is that her blood will help Bo's father escape, that she can lead armies, resurrect them, you know, maybe on this mass scale. But, but the way Trek described it to me, I was just like, well, don't we kind of know all that already? That was just my take on it. Well, Bo even suggests that when she asks him about it. She's like, I, I kind of know this already, but I need you to tell me about my blood. So it might have just have been to make sure everybody was on the same page. But we have seen from Aoife, she's the only other succubus we've seen. We've seen her draw chi from somebody, but just one person. We've seen her be able to give the chi back, but it was somebody that she had sucked chi from. So it could be that this little speech is confirming that Bo's unique as a succubus because she can suck chi from multiple people and that she can transfer that chi to other people that maybe she didn't take it from is is kind of what I thought might have been significant in what Trick said. So the thing that I want to talk about in this particular scene, Trick has the whole thing with the bottles and then Rainer's response is, Aoife's your mother. What do we think that means? I think it was just him sort of connecting the dots, not realizing that maybe he knew Aoife and, you know, was like, oh, I knew her. Who knows? Well, that's what I was speculating about a couple episodes ago. No, I think it's completely fair. And I think a lot of people wondered if maybe Rainer and Aoife knew each other since they were rebelling against the light-dark divide. Though that comment does maybe suggest that Bo hadn't even told him that the Blood King was her grandfather because we have no indication that Trick has any other offspring right i mean that's part of why i was confused though because they've been talking about being related haven't they like why yeah what's going on i'm (laughs) i feel a little lost in that moment one thing about the rainer death scene it's like people go well if he has foresight how come he couldn't see how come he couldn't block massimo's moves or see what was coming he sacrificed himself for Bo. so yeah he he basically says as much Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, that wasn't as clear to me, but... 
So even though the audience was not particularly moved by Rainer's death, it does seem to help snap Bo back into being Bo. And that's kind of what subsequently happens. I mean, obviously, we also have Tamsin's awesome snap out of its speech that she gives Bo, which I loved. I loved that moment between Bo and Tamsin. Me too. <laughs> Me too. And, and subsequent to that, I think we really do see Bo kind of get back to being herself. That's uh, a large part of why I love this episode. So Tamsin gives the great, like, snap out of its speech, and, and Bo starts to sort of get back to herself, and we see her try to like tackle this whole thing about the fact that she's been allied with with the dark and i was really surprised they did not pursue that storyline really at all post about episode 6ish 7ish i mean it kind of it really got dropped but we see her you know tear up the contract but like dyson says will that actually work at all i feel like it's probably going to be a bit more complicated than that so she tears up the contract and then you know dyson swears his his fealty to her, which I actually really loved that moment, but I know some people thought it was maybe a little cheesy. I actually really loved it. But I, I what I really loved about the fact is that afterwards she says, I need you to serve with me, not for me. And, you know, we saw at the end of, of Destiny's Child where sort of Bo really kind of got off path in a way was where she's saying, you know, I need to do things on my own. Y'all can't help me. And so this, we really see her getting back together with her gang and bringing her friends back together as a group. Yeah, and to me, that's the Dyson that I love, where he shows his best qualities. You know, he says he still loves her, but he's giving her everything, all of his strength as a warrior, his heart, his body. And then the fact that Bo says, I need you to serve, you know, with me, and treats him as equal. To me, that's the old Bo. So yeah, that really struck a struck a chord with me, and I really like that scene, too. And then uh, the other thing that comes out of that, that scene that I thought was very old Bo was where... Though it was where she says, you know, Lauren comes first, dad waits second, like pending doom, but I got to go save Lauren first. I got to get my people first and then we'll deal with this thing over here. The The only thing, though, was I, it was was she made this whole thing about Lauren first, dad can wait, but then they went to the temple anyway. I was kind of confused That's what about confused that. confused me, too. <laughs> Once sort of all that beginning stuff is over, we have sort of two main pieces, you know, places of action going on. We've got the confrontation with Massimo over here. And then we've got what's going on at the, the Sinvat over here. So we have the Massimo front confrontation, which is where Bo is at for the majority of the, the episode. And I, I wasn't so much a fan of Massimo all crazy pants. It was a little, you know, scenery chewy and over the top. <laughs> it, it was, you know, Tim Rosen made a feast of the scenery. He definitely did. Yes. So the Massimo confrontation, I, th I thought was really kind of interesting and, and an interesting, well, both of the sort of the big moments of this episode, the big, you know, taking towns of the big bad, it really was not about physical power so much, but we see how the battle between Massimo really had more to do with, was a, was a, a psychological confrontation than a physical one. Yeah, Bo did have to do some, some physical stuff, but ultimately what took him down was using the Morrigan against him. That boy needs a therapist. No kidding. Well, I mean, it's too late now. But <laughs> but I, I did like how when Massimo is, is sucking the Morrigan's chi, I like how Bo talks about what, what makes her special is not her power, but her ability to stop sucking chi from people. And she really emphasizes how coming to love, her, you know, to have her friends, to have her family, that was what sort of shaped her and caused her to become the person that she was, not her blood. So we have... Yeah. Trick talking about how her blood makes her this way and, you know, ties her to her destiny and all this stuff. And then we have Bo say in this scene, it's not all that. It's these people that make me special. Yeah, that's what I loved was the family theme again, which she, yeah, which she mentions to Lauren, you know, at least we'll die. Or which she mentions to Massimo, she's saying at least we'll die a family. I think my one big argument, my, well, my, my biggest annoyance with the Massimo thing was that he should not have been able to use Hale's power. Where did that come from? That was just, I was just like, nope, I cannot buy that. That was a stretch. Yeah, now that you mention it, because he swallows the origin seed after that. Mm -hmm. It's like well after that. Because the, the idea, it seemed like with the origin seed when he swallowed it, was that he could, he absorbed all the Unaman's powers. And then when a power was used against him, he could absorb it and, and use it against people for, for a time. It seemed like it was wearing off 
eventually because he was human and he couldn't harness all of the power. So the idea that he would be able to, would have been able to absorb Hale's power from when he was a human, I can't get there. Well, he does say something about the last power I absorbed from my human life or something like that. He says, so, I'm going to pull yeah. something from my last kill as a human. But he was, was a human. He should not have been able to absorb the power. I'm sorry. But, I can't But he was a druid it. and has, has magic at his... Well, no. I mean, to me, it was explained as the Udamens, you know, had absorbed all the powers of all these different fae over the years. And that was all in the origin seed. So he could access, you know, who knows how many thousands of fae's and their power. Lauren says it's the Toy of Zamora. That power is diminishing because you killed the last Zamoran. You, you killed the last Zamoran. That's diminishing. Continuity quibble with that, though, because Hale makes that comment in season two that he's the heir of Zamora. And Trick's like, no, you're not. What about Vale? What about your cousin so-and-so? And Hale's all, eh, that, never mind. That, forget about that. But <laughs> so and Hale does mention his tone-deaf cousin and yeah. Yeah, other family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So, and it, and that was kind of, I thought, a weird line to include, period, because the fact that the power was diminishing didn't actually really have anything to do with how they killed him, because Lauren takes it away from him. It's not like the twig went out of juice and that's why they killed him. But what I find interesting is that, so Lauren takes the twig away, and then that's how they're able to get the advantage over Massimo, you know, with Bo both cheese-sucking him and with taking the twig away. But it's like, Massimo still has the power of foresight, has the power of all these who knows how many fey, and he's still able to be defeated by Bo. I mean, I know it's part of the story they have to get going and go on to Papaya Horse and all that, but to me, that I just couldn't make that connection. It's like, dude, you still have all these powers, but I guess when you attack Mommy, you know, that's his Achilles heel, so. Well, that and they established that he's human and harness, or trying to harness power of six or that power that was meant for six fey. So I think there's some indication that it's, it's overloading his system as is. Yeah. The description of, or the explanation of how the origin seeds powers worked exactly was not terribly clear and sort of made that some, a lot of, some of that plot really difficult to buy slash follow for me. Ironically, Massimo says that he'd always, or I think, I think Ebony says that Massimo always wanted to be Faye or something like that. And he's captured Lauren and he's holding her captive. And there's basically like the one person who can actually do that. And he's just sort of got her captive waiting for Bo. Well, the idea of Massimo was that he, nothing really seemed to go right for him. So it is, it is appropriate. It's not the brightest bulb. That's yes. the person who could yeah. have actually got, made him what he really wanted. He was willing to just sort of put into the ground. By the way, of course, we have to mention Lauren's line, all, all you're going to be remembered for is, you know, mortalized in a shitty pop song. <laughs> and I'm like, and it will be sung by your alter ego, Patsy Sewer, <laughs> for some reason. That just popped in my head. I'm all, I can totally see that. No, no, I think that was a deliberate reference to Instant Star because Emily Andrus was a, a writer on Instant Star, and she wrote this episode, and both Zoe Palmer and Tim Rosen played characters on Instant Star, so I think that was definitely a purposeful Instant Star call-out. <laughs> Wink. I just loved it. So, Lauren, I really liked in the, the Massimo scenes, because she's being a lot more in character, I thought, than she was last episode when she was just sort of cowering, where she's being really snarky and really trying to get under Massimo's skin and, you know, picking the handcuffs. And so I, I did like, even though Lauren didn't get to do much, I, I really did like what the part that she did get to play in this in this little sequence. Well, I was afraid when it first showed her in the cuffs, and I was like, oh, those are thicker chains, and she's pulling at them. And I'm like, oh, no, I hope we don't see cowering Lauren again. And then later she says to Bo, oh, don't worry, it'll just take me a few more minutes. I'm like, yes. Yes, it's reappearance of, three, of uh, 404, Lauren. Yes. So we have at the at the end of sort of the confrontation with Massimo, we have Lauren volunteer to stay behind and take care of the Morrigan. And I, I got an email from somebody, uh, Jay over at the Rosalian Isles podcast, saying that that moment didn't really ring true because Lauren was so antagonistic toward the toward the Morrigan in the previous episode. I personally kind of liked that moment because I think we saw in the previous episode Lauren maybe stretching her ethics a little bit when it comes to medical ethics. Not a little bit, quite a bit when it comes to her medical ethics. But we see in this episode her 
still having that duty to take care of the Morrigan. She doesn't want to, like, kill the Morrigan. But I do wish that we had gotten a better sense of what her ultimate goal was in turning the Morrigan human. Okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. But yeah, because I was like, I was asking the same question now that you put my feelings into words going, but why is she staying behind? Again, I would have liked to have seen her on the battlefield or whatever, but if you watch, you know, how Zoe interprets the line, she goes, well, I'm going to stay with the Morrigan. She's like, well, I kind of did this to her. And she gets this little, she kind of rolled through, does her Lauren eye roll a little bit. And I'm like, you better be careful, Lauren, because you can't, you know, I feel like she couldn't just say that so casually because you are the one that did this to her. And I, I like I said, I worry about her next season if she's hanging around the Morgan, that Morgan will still find some way to get back at her, even if she's human, because of what she did. So, but at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, Lauren, if Lauren just did that to the Morgan to protect herself, to turn her human, because there, she saw no other way to get out of her situation with the Faye. I don't know. I personally take Lauren's actions against the Morrigan sort of in the same vein as there was the episode where she shows up at Dyson's and they, she and Dyson go off to, you know, potentially fight the crows to help Bo. And, you know, she's got her science stuff (laughs) in her little holsters in her jacket. And I mean, I think this is sort of a continuation of that that aspect of Lauren. You know what I mean? Because she's still not actually going to kill anybody, but she's going to do what she can to help the cause. It is kind of a gray area because it is about oh, it's totally a gray area. Yeah, and it's and it's but it's like that's her strength. But it's yeah, it's so touchy because it's like. You're supposed to be a healer, you're supposed to help people, but you can also use it as a weapon, if you know what you're doing with your medical knowledge, so. But she's also essentially being held captive by these people, so. And has for five years, and they've ruined her life, and it's not like Lauren is going to default to using her medical knowledge like that all the time. I think she only does it when there's no choice. Uh, Cindy says, I agree, I think it was to show Lauren hadn't turned scary willing to do anything. Right. But I think we did maybe get a hint as to why Lauren might have done this to the Morrigan, because we see the Morrigan being very eager to protect Lauren because she knows Lauren can undo it. So I kind of think it might end up being some sort of bargaining chip. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, Angela says, I think Lauren wanted to give Ebony a human perspective, which hopefully would give her more of an understanding of humans. And Dawson says, this episode was everyone's return to themselves, and for Lauren, that is being a doctor. She stays to care for Ebony. I think that's a good point. There is a lot of that going on. So there was quite a bit of Bo and Lauren stuff in this episode. We had the appearance of the necklace that Lauren, not the Morgan, that Lauren left for Bo. Yes, that Lauren, I told you, I told you. (laughs) But it wasn't an engagement ring. I'm sorry, No, there was no engagement ring. But at least it wasn't part of the costume. Yeah, I was getting really worried because once the promotional <laughs> photos came out of this episode with Bo wearing the necklace, I was seeing all of this speculation on Twitter with people saying, oh, it's the necklace that Lauren gave her. All the, you know, documents people getting really excited. And I was super worried that it was going to end up like meaning nothing and they would be crushed. But I'm glad that they were not crushed because that would have made me very sad. <laughs> Thank you, Andrus, for giving us Bono. So for the documents reunion, I was like, oh, God, Christ on a crutch. I'm so happy because our poor documents hearts have been dying for this whole season. They had so much screen time together. It's about as short as my notes. This much screen time so far this season. So <laughs> my fingers are very, very close together. Wait, wait, camera. <laughs> so uh, I was a little, okay. So, yes, Lauren does confirm that it's the necklace. You wore it. I love it. And I was a little annoyed that Bo brought a brainer at that point. But then, to Lauren's credit, she just goes, you know, at least I was right about you. I always have been. And I love that she, you know, at this point in the series, it's like, I think it's funny that you do one of those from the first day we met type of lines. So I thought that was cute and she does you know Bo says the same thing i wish that they hadn't said the from the first day we met line i wish they'd crossed out that part i you know the cheese i like the cheese with my documents okay i like a good have our tea with my documents so (laughs) 
Anyway. Really, Havarti. I wouldn't have guessed. Havarti's delicious. Sharp cheddar, too. You know, and then Bo says, well, you know, you're a human who can turn fey into humans. They're going to be coming after you. I'm like, oh, now you say this? After they've been coming after you all season? But you weren't around? And Lauren's like, uh, yeah, let them try. And I'm like, mm. I love how much Lauren has grown this season. And it was just that instant confident response was so great to hear. And bit of acting from Zoe. So, and right when I'm yelling at the TV, when Bo, like, is, you know, Lauren says, go, you know, go get him, Succubus, or whatever. And I'm like, Bo's running away. I'm like, turn around. And she did. And for once, the character on TV actually did what I told them to do through the screen. So she went back and kissed her. So it was all me, people. But I knew she was going to do that. It was it was such a romantic movie, like a... But it was just so nice to see after this whole long season. I actually really, really loved the the hug between Bo and Lauren. I thought that was super sweet, where Bo is really upset after having killed Massimo and, and Lauren like embraces her. I thought that was really a sweet moment. Well, it was a sweet moment, but why was Bo so... Again, just being a dunce. Why was she so upset? Because she's Bo again, thank goodness. Bo again and doesn't like... <laughs> doesn't like having to run through people with swords. And I think there was also a sense of she was doing this for Kenzie because yeah. he just so completely destroyed Kenzie. And I think that's also why she was emotional. I think she was kind of like this, I should have done this sooner type of moment even. But I think the fact that it was something she was really doing for Kenzie was, was partially why yeah. she got so emotional. And I do agree that that's more of it, that it's it's catharsis. Yeah, that was sweet. So I am left wondering, once after the scenes that we got with, with Bo and Lauren in this episode, which were very romantic-y, and then we did have like a kiss a kiss between Bo and Dyson at some point, and, you know, Dyson tells Bo that he loves her, but it seemed like this episode seemed to suggest maybe that was morphing into more of a we're partners in this together, we're bonded, and we, you know, we want to fight the same fights together type of a way rather than a romantic thing. So I, I you know, can't predict, obviously, where the show's going to go, but it seemed like maybe this was suggesting they're leaning toward Bo and Lauren as romantic pair, but maybe not Bo and Dyson. Was that your guys' sense? Yeah, I, well, duh. So what do you think, Chris? Was that your sense, too, or, or what, did, what did you make of the triangle stuff going on in this episode. I think your assessment is fair. Because, yeah, I mean, you're right that the scene between Dyson and Bo, it kind of felt like, I don't want to say closure. It, it wasn't really closure so much as it was, I guess, an evolution of their relationship. It, it felt very comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're friends and they get each other and we're there for each other. And, you know, I don't want you to serve for me. I want you to serve with me. That, that whole thing. And yeah, Dyson telling her to go get Lauren and all that sort of thing. And people have been saying for a while that they are getting maybe a little sick of the triangle and they want Bo to pick a choice either way. And this, to me, this episode suggested that maybe the writers are at that point where they're going to evolve Dyson and Bo's relationship into this other thing, more of this this partnership and we're tied together because we, we love each other and we want to fight the same fights. But maybe romance-wise move Bo toward picking Lauren. So, we'll see. Could be wrong, but that was the sense that I was getting from, from this episode. So, moving over to what was going on over at the Sinvat. The Sinvat's actually reference to the Sinvat Bridge from Zoroastrianism. It's a bridge that separates the world of the living from the world of the dead. All souls have to cross the bridge when they die. And so if the person was, you know, bad, essentially, you know, wicked or evil or whatever, whatever you word you choose to use here, the bridge would appear narrow and a demon would take their soul to a place of torment, which was, you know, equivalent to hell, essentially. Uh, or if the person was good, the bridge would be wide and a spirit would take their soul into the House of Song. Learning that I thought actually was quite helpful because Bo, at the beginning of the episode where she's talking about, I can feel my father is near, she talks about him crossing the bridge. And I was like, and I wasn't entirely sure what she was talking about, but it was definitely drawing on this idea from Zoroastrianism. 
Thank you for your research again, because that word was driving me batty, because I kept saying Sinbad. But just to start to start general, generally, before we talk about the really sad stuff that comes out of this, I, I thought that was a pretty decent battle scene going on at the Sinbad. Although, can can we talk about how Bo says something about, you know, what, what do you think is going to come out of there? And Dyson says a shitload of revenants, and then, like, three walk out. <laughs> well, later it was a shitload. I know, but... They were going to keep that coming. That cocked me up, though. <laughs> I know, I know, but... But, but yeah, I thought we had a decent battle scene. I like that they threw in the fact that Tamsin could use her powers of doubt to make the revenants attack each other, because that's always something that kind of drives me nuts, is when you have three people bat- battling 300 and somehow they're still alive. So I like that they kind of explain that with they had the revenants attacking them ch- each other as well. I did appreciate that whole scene where Bo like, lays out a plan of attack. I enjoy those scenes. Well, still, I kind of wish we'd seen the, the actual scene where Tamsin had cast doubt on them, but again, maybe they just didn't have time for special effects or whatever. Yeah. But suddenly they're just, you know, fighting each other and but then, still, you've got, like, you know, Tamsin saying, there's only two of us, and then Trick's like, no, there's three, and I'm like, why is it that, you know, it's like at the end of season two, when you only have six of them going against the Garuda, and I'm like, where are all the other Fae? And now it's like, there's even less. There's only three of them against the millions of revenants, and I'm like, even if they're fighting each other, they're still getting overwhelmed, and I'm like, that kind of stretched credibility a bit, but it was still a good battle scene. And I, and I have to say, I think it was, uh, Right in that scene when Tamsin and Dyson, someone tweeted, oh, only they can have casual conversation in the middle of battle. That's partially why I, I actually really loved this episode. Well, this episode was definitely a, a huge improvement over last week's episode for me, because I felt like we got tons of good character moments in this episode, which was really lacking for me in the previous one. And yeah. so I like that the battle scene, it wasn't about them fighting the zombies, you know, the revenants necessarily, you know, they use that time in order to have little character moments like Tamsin yelling at Dyson to shut up. I love when Tamsin yells at people, apparently. It makes me laugh every yeah. time. <laughs> what was the line about the cod piece? I missed it. Uh, there's so many lines I could Oh, she said, "Is you got anything in your cod piece worth fighting for? And he said, <laughs> you know that I do or something like that. Or you yeah, should know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is me being a total geek and you guys will probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, the Wilhelm scream was used at the beginning of that scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah! yeah. <laughs> you know, and then for those of you who don't know, I will, all things Wikipedia, the Wilhelm scream is a film and television stock sound effect that has been used in more than 200 movies. I would think it's more than that. Beginning in 1951, the scream is often used when someone is shot, falls from a great height, or is thrown from an explosion. <laughs> and of course, he's used in everything. But I was like, yes, they finally used it in Lost Girl. I just lost my shit when I heard that. I thought it was hella, hella funny. So. I also thought it was interesting when Trick joined the battle. He, he had that line about how it's time to stop dwelling in the past and get to fixing the future. That was kind of an interesting line from Trick, I thought. I, yeah, and I was like, does that mean, is that in relation to his powers, that he doesn't want to use them and, you know, deal with the consequences anymore, or he doesn't want to I don't know. I, th- I just thought it was in relation to his. Does he not want to use it to fix the situation, or because I don't know, or was he is he not going to feel guilty about it anymore, or something? I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting line for him. Yeah, me too. I know uh, a lot of people, a com- couple people, commented on this. We have, and I wrote this in all caps. All this buildup about frickin' papaya horse, and we don't even see him. Oh, you I know, knew it. No- season five. Oh wait, I knew we wouldn't. No, I wanted, I was expecting it because I'm a gullible viewer, and I was like, okay, you're gonna come out, flames from your nostrils and the pictures and frickin' papaya shooting out of your ass. I mean, wanted to see something, but apparently the special effects budget had been used. Oh, one more thing. Do we know why Parapus needs Bo to appear on this plane or whatever? I mean, he needed her to... Release the armies of hell, I guess? Well, but didn't he, he needed her... The, the Dark Queen, she said, to... To emerge. Well, she also says in ceremony that, you know, they will rule together, so... Right. But, I mean, more sowing seeds for season five, right? Yeah. It did, to me, in this episode, it seemed like Bo was needed to lead the revenants coming out of the of the Sinbad, like, against the Fae. That's what was kind of insinuated as to what he needed her for 
at this particular moment. Oh, okay. I, that's just my impression. I can't really cite a particular piece of dialogue that set that, though, off the top of my head. I guess that does make sense, since that did start to happen for, like, yeah, a second. Yeah, until stopped her. Obviously, the big moments of the of the episode, as well as just this little side storyline of the season, was Kenzie making this huge sacrifice to help Bo. Like I mentioned in, when, at the top of the, the episode, I really wish we had gotten more time with Kenzie this episode. It, it moved so fast with her accepting this decision about herself. Though, actually, when I rewatched it, it worked a little better because when on rewatch, when we got to the scene where she hugs Bo and she gives her Geraldine and then says, you're going to be fine. And she's kind of crying. When I rewatched it, knowing that she already had figured out what she needed to do, that comment, you're going to be fine, takes a new meaning. It's like, oh, she knows Bo's going to be fine because she realizes she's the one who has to sacrifice herself to close the portal. Yeah, that scene very much read to me as a goodbye scene. Mm -hmm. So I saw it coming. Yeah, again, I saw it, you know, right when she asked um, Tamsin to, can you translate this? And by the way, in that scene, I so wanted to hear Rachel speak fluent Norwegian. And then she tears the page from the book and keeps it. And me, this whole episode, anytime Kenzie's on screen, no, 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 Kenzie, don't you even think about it as much of no, 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 no's. And then Kenzie and then me crying. Yeah, that scene when she gave her Geraldine. I'm like, no, not Geraldine. And, but yeah, I, now that you say it's a goodbye scene, I just, my brain couldn't process it because I was crying too much already. But yeah, that is the last time she talks to her. I personally saw something happening big in regards to Kenzie in the finale. So I wasn't really surprised by what happened. I think it was still a really beautifully well done couple of scenes where, where Kenzie makes the sacrifice for Bo. But I, I really started to suspect it strongly when, when Hale was killed, because there really was not a particularly good reason story-wise to kill Hale other than to really devastate Kenzie. And what do you do with a devastated Kenzie? She then has nothing left to lose, and she does something like this, where either I figured she would either leave the Fae or, some, or she would make some sort of sacrifice for herself. And so that's, that's kind of where, where that was leading up to, I think. And because Hale had died, that was a huge part into what made it easier, I think, for her to, to make the sacrifice for himself. And, and Cassandra Solia did, did choke me up a bit when she has that line about, you know, if I die like this in battle, maybe I can see him again. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because, you know, we had all our theories about who was going to die. This is before Hale died. And then I wonder if some fans still thought that, you know, there was a lot, I think a lot of fans did figure it was Kenzie, but, um, you know, still, I was still kind of going, well, it could have been anybody going into the finale, but with Kenzie saying, you know, everybody's mentioned but me in that prophecy, in the last one of the zillion prophecies in the previous episode, I could also see where that was leading. I, I, you know, and I think that's like, oh, I hate it when showrunners use this word, but it's a bold choice, I'm saying it in showrunner, showrunner voice, to make, uh, to kill off that character. You know, because it really is true, as Kenzie says, you love Dyson, she loves you, she loves Lauren, but I'm her heart. That's it. And that's how many fans describe the show. And it's many fans' favorite relationship on the show, regardless of ship wars or whatever. You know, again, I think this is very much like, as I compared it to Xena earlier, we know there's, you know, I have no doubt, personally, that there's going to be a season five, and it begins with Bo's quest to find Kenzie. But it doesn't make watching this any easier. I thought this was also a really great conclusion to Kenzie's storyline this season, because even starting at the end of season three, we have Kenzie feeling like she doesn't have a place in the Fae world. She doesn't know where she fits and just feeling really alone. So I thought this was actually a really great way to end her story arc is realizing she's like one of the most important people in the Fae world because she is Bo's heart. As I said, I sort of saw stuff coming watching it the first time. But, you know, watching it the second time, basically we get to the, the scene where Kenzie hugs Bo and gives her Geraldine and I'm sobbing, you know. It's a, a hard thing, even though I've got to say this. Basically, they set this up such that it 
basically is impossible to not make season five about finding Kenzie. I mean, they said it, I think, two or three times at the end of the episode that that's what's gonna happen. I mean, Kenzie, before she walks through the Sinvat, says, she says, Tamsin's going to take me to Valhalla, and that's where I'll wait. I mean, that's what she says. She says she's going to wait there for Bo to come get her, basically. Basically, yes, I'm sad that that happened, that Kenzie has sacrificed herself. And I mean, I'm not surprised that Kenzie would sacrifice herself. I thought that was really Kenzie being at her Kenziest in that moment. Like, the reason that works so well is that that's what Kenzie would do. It was not a yes. stretch that she would be able, e- even if Hale were still alive, even if she wasn't completely devastated, I could still see Kenzie being willing to make that sacrifice for Bo. Because she is the most important person in her life. Right. I mean, that's that's her family. That's the first person who gave her purpose and got her away from her life of being on the streets and, yeah, did everything for her. Okay, so where I'm going with all this, that they've set it up that they're going to be looking for Kenzie, and I I tweeted this, that to me, this is set up like Wrath of Khan, so clearly season five is going to be the search for Spock, or as I'm going to hereby dub it, the quest for Kenzie. Trademark Chris. Or Adventures in the Century, which is the fourth season two-parter of Xena, when Xena is searching for Gabrielle, so Adventures in the Kenzie trade. Um... That whole scene where Kenzie is walking to the portal was done, you know, very artistically with the slow-mo and everybody without sound. But to me, that moment worked really well. It just was really good editing, music, direction, everything. And and above all, just incredible acting. Although this is my one point with that scene that I know some people have commented on, um, that I'm like, I'm sobbing and I'm watching Kenzie walk by and there's Trick standing there with his staff. And I'm like, Trick! Do something! Cut your veins open! I mean, it, I thought it would have been a little more effective if Trick had still been fighting Revenants instead of just... I know he's no. I know he knows why Kenzie has to do it, and he references earlier during the battle scene, Kenzie's safe for now. He knew what Kenzie had to do, but it just made him, you know, look kind of passive. Well, they were they were all passive. Like, Dyson was passive. Bo even stopped struggling. At that moment, they all recognized that Kinsey knew what she had to do and was willing to do it. It couldn't have been anybody else. It had to be her. And she yeah, she accepted that. She, you know, she did what Bo is talking about doing in the credits. She's, she's you know, living the life she chooses. She's making her decision to sacrifice herself for her friends. That is something I like a lot in this episode. We've seen several times throughout the episode, people sort of seeming to find their purpose, to find meaning. Yeah. Kenzie approaches the portal and... I was actually surprised what what actually happened. I thought she more crossed through, not that she'd get to the threshold and then bam. But it was a, yeah, it was a great yeah. effect though, and I really liked all the revenants falling down and and then she's lying on the ground and then there's this beautiful moment where Tamsin comes over to her and is is crying and, you know, sort of takes her by the torso and then her wings come out and drape themselves over Kenzie and I thought that was a wonderful use of special effects. I thought that was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I thought that was a little surprising that Tamsin was the first one to run to Kenzie because I thought it would have been Bo, but um, that was also kind of a sweet moment because it showed how much Tamsin loved Kenzie in this lifetime. So I thought it might have been more effective if Bo had also run to her and you know held her as she disappeared or something. But I think she was just in shock. Well, Dyson holds her back. Bo takes a step towards her, but Dyson holds her back and says something about Valhalla. She still pulls away and, you know, cries as she disappears. But, um, yeah, that was... Thanks for ripping our hearts out, every single actor on Moss Girl. (laughs) But, yeah. I I actually am glad, though, that Kenzie and Tamsin got a moment before Tamsin took her away, because in the the pre- Kenzie sacrificing herself moments, we don't see Tamsin's reaction. We see Bo and Dyson's, but we don't see Tamsin's. So I'm glad that they got a moment together. Well, and as for Bo not physically holding Kenzie, I mean, everything is in that look that Bo is giving Kenzie anyway. So, Okay, so you were talking about how you thought that Kenzie was going to pass through the Sinvad? I thought so too, but then in reading the description of it, it's... It's a place for souls to go through. So I'm wondering if that's part of it. Because we got somebody, 
I think it was somebody in our timeline mentioning why didn't Bo even try to give her chi to revive her. But I'm thinking if it if it is the soul thing, that would explain that, right? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think Tamsin took her away a little too quickly, but that was all part of the plan. So I don't know. Yeah, I just yeah. If I were Bo, I probably would have reacted the same way that Bo did. I, I could have. I would have just stood there, you know, in disbelief. So Tamsin takes her way to to Valhalla, and then we get at the end of the episode, we get this. I thought it was beautifully shot sequence of Bo going to visit Kenzie at the the graveyard. And I just thought everything about that was really well done. I thought the, the, you know, the location they picked was gorgeous. I love the song that they played. I thought the voiceover was really good. Um, and I just really love the way that they ended the episode with that sequence. And then I cry horribly again. Oh, I was crying horribly during the entire thing. But yeah, the song that's playing is, uh, by Keaton Henson and it's called You. And, uh, I've been playing it over and over again today, getting teary eyed gut curled up in a fetal position. You're a masochist is what you are. Yeah, I, I think the lyric that seems to get everybody is there's a lyric in there about how you can die knowing that your life was my life's best part. And that's where I horribly, horribly sob. As Bo puts her hand on the grave, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Ugh. Um, But I love that voiceover. Just, again, it shows great acting for Anna, even in a voiceover. Although, when the voiceover was talking about Rainer for a horrifying fraction of a second, I thought... Is she going to visit Rainer's grave? She better not frickin' be. Um, I'm like, who cares about Rainer? I'm like, dying here. So, um. Annie no, is so Annie. heartless. <laughs> I know, I know. And I remember, uh, reading Emily's interview where she was asked about Bo going to the grave by herself as opposed to with, you know, the gang. And I, but I thought that was very fitting that Bo went by herself because that's her unique relationship with Kenzie. That's her heart. That's her sister. That's her, uh, everything. Right. And, right. and the whole point, the whole idea of that scene is she's talking to her best friend, you know, and yeah. and it wouldn't have worked if they'd had Lauren and Dyson and Trick standing behind her. So it was it was a Bo Kenzie moment, even though Kenzie wasn't there physically. And I actually think it's kind of nice that we started out the season Bo-less. And so now we're finishing the season with just Bo. Yeah. And I just it was such a perfect last scene with you know, I miss you more than that. I need you. And you see that she's transcending her grief to they're the one, you know, they want me to be afraid. It's them who should be afraid of me. And she's, you know, she's standing up very resolute, determined. And I'm like, that's the bow that we love. That's totally bow. And she, there was like no alternative. There is no other answer. She will get Kenzie back. She's not doubting. She's not doing anything. She's like, this is what will happen. I think that was one of those, as I was saying earlier, I think starting out the season, the whole point is that we have to search for Bo. And I feel like in that final scene, we finally have Bo back fully. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know, I think it was a hard journey for fans and for writers to um, to kind of see the feedback, because Emily did mention the feedback where she said it's tough for Rainer to come in as a character that people don't like. and But she said that was the purpose, you know, kind of the purpose of the storyline was to, you know, have ben, Bo and Kenzie have this distance between them and to have Kenzie not being able to forgive Bo at the beginning of the episode and that her um, Kenzie sacrifice would have had less impact had they not had that distance between them. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, now I kind of get it. Reading Emily's interview, um, I just wish some of the some of the separation between Bo and the group and her reasoning had been, again, written better. But so talking with talking about maybe some of the more lighthearted moments <laughs> when it came to Kenzie in this episode, I, the the Ken's the I want more Kenzie and Lauren first part of me was so happy that Kenzie went looking for Lauren, apparently, after she left Bo. And that's why she's at the Morrigans at the beginning of the episode. And then, of course, I, I loved when, when Kenzie got a punch to the Morrigan in. <laughs> now I know what people say by not in the face. <laughs> uh, she deserved it. <laughs> she did. I have to say how much I love, love, love Emmanuel Vogier and how much I am so happy that she will had better dang well be around next season, although I'm worried about how much she's going to 
threaten Lauren, even as a human, <laughs> to give her back her powers. Yeah, this was like a nice episode for the Morrigan, because we have her acting like a reasonable person. <laughs> well, she's a person yeah, now, she's a human. so... But she's still her old snarky... I mean, she still has the great one-liners and still, like, herself at the same mm-hmm. time. Well, I mean, how old is she? We don't actually know, but presumably she's... I think something like... I think they might have said in an interview something like 2,000 years old, something like that. She's supposed to be old. Wow. My my point being, she's had times such that I don't think any of that's going to no, change overnight, no. personality-wise. But I, I did like that we got a glimpse of the Morgans, you know, foray into drunkness and hitting on Trick. <laughs> I, I was actually really surprised, and it was uncharacteristic of the Morgan, that she showed up and tried to help Bo with Massimo. She actually followed through on a promise. I mean, Ebony's one of those people, she's out for Ebony, right? So... If Bo is trying to save Lauren, Lauren, who is presumably the only person who can undo what she did. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I gotta say, Dyson was actually one of the things I really liked about this episode. I really liked Dyson in this episode. He's often not the highlight of, of episodes for me, not because I dislike Dyson, but I just, but I really loved him in this episode. I loved how lighthearted he got to be at the beginning. I loved the way he called Vax a little shit. <laughs> I, I liked his reaction to hearing that Bo fed off Tamsin with like this mixture of curiosity slash perviness. <laughs> I liked that he called Lauren his friend, you know, as I mentioned, I liked when he swore fealty to Bo. But yeah, I really liked Dyson in this episode. I thought he got a really nice storyline. Agreed. As I said earlier, I, I like that people are sort of finding purpose and that Dyson even has that really sort of like, overly formal speech to mm-hmm. Bo about swearing fealty. Because, like, I feel like Dyson would be overly formal oh, about that. of course he would. Of course he would. Well, he's an old-fashioned guy, yeah. Exactly. Sort of very, you know, very courtly about it, or something. Yeah, with with the with Lafayette yeah. Polk in this season, they reminded us of Dyson's sort of wandering lone wolf past. And, you know, we saw when he swore fealty to Trick, and so I liked him swearing fealty to Bo as kind of an echo to that and sort of him really finding a purpose in life, perhaps now that now that he's found Bo and recognized who she represents to him. I also really loved the very sweet scene between Dyson and Tamsin in front of the, the gate to Valhalla. Though that confused me for a minute when he showed up there. I was like, oh no, is he dead too now? I was kind of confused. Yeah, how did he get there? <laughs> but yeah. um, but um, I did really like the moment between the two of them. I, I wish they smooched. I, I wanted a Dyson-Tamsin like, reassuring smooch there, but we didn't get one. Oh, I did not know you were such a Dyson Tamsin fan. I didn't either, until this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so when when Bo feeds off of Tamsin, she mentions that, that she tastes different and she tastes happy. And I, I thought that was a nice, a nice moment, maybe alluding to the fact that Tamsin is happier in this lifetime than she was in her previous, because that's the last time we'd seen Bo feed off of Tamsin was in season three. Yeah, and I like that you brought that up, because I didn't... I didn't infer that. I just thought she was happy because she got her soul back from Rainer. But that's true as well, that she's happier in this lifetime with what, you know, Kenzie and Bo pseudo-adopting her and raising her from little Tam Tam and just being fully accepted as part of this dysfunctional family that still really cares about and um, supports each other. But I love seeing Tamsin with her, uh, as Rachel Garston calls it, the boomerangs. <laughs> in her jacket again. Yeah, I wish we'd seen her get to use those. She was mainly using a sword no. in battle. Well, apparently, since Rachel can't throw them, since she said she said. Well, it was it was close combat too. Yeah. To be yeah. fair. Yeah, but it that was really cool to see again. But I love the sword. I'm like, I want that sword. So that was neat. So I, I really felt sorry for Tamsin when she walks in on Bo and Dyson having this tender moment in their bedroom. And I saw some people speculating online about that moment and whether that means that, you know, Tamsin loves Bo or does Tamsin love Dyson. But I think it actually kind of works both ways. I, I To me, I was, you know, we saw Tamsin maybe trying to move past Bo at the end of end of the line where, you know, we have with the Tamsin Dyson Kissy's scene at the at the very end. And so, like, you know, she's trying to move on from Bo with Dyson, and yet she walks in on two people she's, you know, two people she desires having, like, this really touching lovey-dovey moment. It's like she can't catch a break, and I was just like, oh, poor Tamsin. 
Right. I was going to liken it to one of those moments where, you know, you have two friends and like they're both your friends, but then sometimes like you'll see them, like they go off and do stuff together and then you're just kind of, hmm. <laughs> it's one of those. I never thought of Tamsin as getting over, trying to get over Bo by going with Dyson. I don't know. Yeah, I could totally see Tamsin's feelings for Bo just written on her face there. Yeah. So. Poor Tamsin. So just real quickly, I'm going to go over some of the themes that we saw in this episode that have been carried through this season. We mentioned most of them already. You know, this idea of family. Bo talks about the importance of her family and friends and tells Massimo that at least they'll die as family. Destiny, again, comes up quite a bit. It's not as directly discussed, but obviously the idea that Kenzie was fated to do this, Bo was fated to do this, came up quite a bit in the episode. The idea of blood having power, again, we hear from from Trick that he thinks Bo's blood may harm her father. Power, again, is another big theme. Like I mentioned, you know, Mosmo absorbs all of this power. You have the Pyrrhus, these two big bads. But what ultimately brings them down is psychology and a, you know, powerless human. So let's talk a bit about how this episode really sets us up for next season. Like Chris mentioned, we have Kenzie giving her giving Dyson her plan, right? Can't Tamsin can go to Valhalla with Rainer's soul. Bo won't stop until she can get Kenzie back. So Kenzie will wait in Valhalla for Bo to rescue her. And like Chris mentioned, it's definitely setting up season five to be the quest for Kenzie. <laughs> I'm trying to make it work, Chris. I'm trying to make it stick. <laughs> I already tweeted it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but then we see in the scene with Tamsin and Dyson at the gate of Valhalla, it looks like it's not going to be as easy as Kenzie thought. Tamsin says, you know, Kenzie, Kenzie's gone. And then she suddenly switches to, don't let Bo get the second hell shoe. And there's no explanation. But doesn't the hell shoe represent, you know, only one can wear it who's worthy, and that it gives, you know, a great amount of power to whoever wears them. So it wouldn't be a good idea to seemingly give it to Bo, someone who has a lot of power, and has hybrid blood that could turn her, you know, toward the dark side, toward the Pyrrhus, influencing her again to raise the armies of the dead. That's just my theory. That it just would not be a good idea to have Bo have them. But it could be. I don't know if it's, like, the only way Bo could find Kenzie, or is it key to finding Kenzie, but... But definitely Tamsin's comments are intentionally vague. We'll see how they play out next season. What does she mean by Kenzie's gone? But I think given what the Leviathan says in Destiny's Child, she she tells Bo she'll see her again because someone she loves will soon be dead. If maybe instead of being in, of traveling to Valhalla, Bo will have to travel to Urkala instead. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying and have been saying ever since Hale died, that she'll go to the Leviathan. Maybe the Leviathan wants, is holding Kenzie as a bargaining chip so that she can get the mark that she apparently wanted, which apparently belongs to Pyrrhus. Because mm -hmm. it actually makes more sense that Leviathan would want the mark if it were Pyrrhus's versus Rainer, since Pyrrhus is also another underworld figure. Right. You see Dyson pick up Tamsin, and the gates of Valhalla disappear, and you kind of see this alleyway with all this graffiti. And now we have people uh, trying to decipher the graffiti because it's in ruins. It's, and I'm like, I'm not going that far, but people are trying to translate it. So. I actually have another comment on the graffiti. Mm -hmm. Not the runes, though. Did you notice the giant three-in-one? No. Yeah, there's a giant three-in-one, like, under and to the right side of of the the of the runes, it says three and one. Remember how last season five and one kept showing up on the walls? Like around the time of the, the dawning. Mm -hmm. I think it's in Phage Against the Machine. It's it's in there. It might be in the ceremony. I can't remember now. But it shows up, I think, two or three times throughout the season. Five and one shows up. And in this episode on that wall it says three and one. And might I point out that we have lost two people this season. Just throwing it out there. Uh, Laura says, how is it that Dyson can run up to Gates of Valhalla to find Tamsin? Does he have a map? Yeah, exactly. You know how we talk about clothes sometimes? Mm-hmm. I loved Bo's clothes in this episode. Just gonna say that. Me too. Yes, it was very Bo. I know you kept saying that from the promo pictures. But um, Kenzie kind of had on this baggy sweater that scene. I have a theory. 
as is my way. I think because the first time we see her wear it is when they get home from Hale's funeral. Yeah. I think that cardigan might have belonged to it Hale. It did. I recognize it. He he, was, he wore uh, it in a previous episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because it's, I mean, it's very, very oversized on Kenzie and it's really long. And of course, Hale is like eight feet tall or something. Ksenia's tiny, so. But no, it was one of Hale's cardigans. I recognized it. Okay, okay, thank you. But I, I liked both that they had her dressed in one of Hale's cardigans and the the sunflowers that Bo took to her grave was an echo of when Hale brought her sunflowers in Sleeping Beauty School. So there were a couple of stuff, a couple of things from mythology slash history that were just mentioned briefly. I don't want to really go into it all that in, in all that detail, but I will put links to information about the Reju, the Terracotta Army, and the Sharer in the show notes for this episode. Oh, where's Crystal? Crystal watch episode I can't even remember anymore. Nine? Last we saw her was episode four, so nine. Yeah. Yeah. Thebes! <laughs> Let us know what you thought about the season four finale. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 43. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can send us a voicemail by clicking on the send voicemail button on the right side of the page over at drinksatthedoll.com. Some people have been asking, so we want to confirm that we are planning to continue doing weekly episodes during the hiatus. We'll take a two-week break following this episode and release a couple of short half-pint episodes leading into our Season 4 wrap-up discussion. During the hiatus, the episodes will mostly be topic-based, so let us know if there are any topics or a particular episode from Seasons 1 through 3 you'd like for us to discuss, and if you'd be interested in being a guest contributor. We always love to include other voices on the show. Get in touch with us by any of the methods Stephanie just mentioned, or send us a tweet. We're on Twitter at Drinks at the Doll. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm looking forward to Season 5, The Quest for Kenzie. And my name is Chris. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.